We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. Welcome to the Rams Talk Radio podcast. I'm Steve Ribeiro, joined with Derek Ciapala and Johnny Gomez. After a miserable last week, the Rams are 1-1. One one. They won their L.A. home opener. So we'll just start with this in general. What does this mean for the Los Angeles Rams in their return to L.A. and with this team moving forward? I, I think as far as the Rams returning to L.A., having them win the very first home opener, this was definitely a big Big win for them, especially because this is not only just a win, but this is also a divisional win against a team that, true, the Rams have had success with against in the past. But at the same time, you know, the Seattle Seahawks are not a pushover. And evidence was from having a really, really tough defensive brawl in this game. I, I was really happy to see some aspects of it, but there still is a lot to work on, and uh, I, I mean a lot to work on. From a football standpoint, I think most of us expected the Rams to be one and one after two weeks. I thought we would it would be the other way around. I thought it would be we win the game in San Francisco and we and we possibly probably lose to Seattle. Then beating Seattle, you know, we'll take one and one tie for first place in the NFC West. 
I think just overall for the NFL in LA, though, I think it's huge. I think it's you know this was 22 years in the making for them to finally have an you know the Rams back in LA, the NFL back in LA for that matter. So to see that game, to see the, the crowd energize, to see for it to be on national TV, for it to be a divisional win, I think that's the most important news coming out of the game overall. This this was a huge win. Now that we have newer fans in that weren't with the team last year. After week one, they probably didn't realize what they were getting into. Now they know that this team is capable of beating pretty good football teams like the Seattle Seahawks. They know last week was not going to happen every week, and now that there's an actual team with a lot of promise, an elite defense, there's room to grow and there's room for fans to be excited about this team, especially that they came into Los Angeles and won their home opener back in the Coliseum. The big story out of this game on the field was the defense stepped up, held Russell Wilson and the Seahawks to three points. We talked, me and Johnny talked last week about how losing Akeem Mayers was a bigger blow to the team than people might have thought, but this week they held the Seahawks to 67 rushing yards, pretty much shut down the passing attack. Is this new scheme defense with five, basically six safeties on the field going to work long term? No. No, it's not going to work. I agree. The truth is the the Rams are playing a limited offense. You know, the passing game, you know, for the Seahawks is fair. And quarterback Russell Wilson is one of the best in the league, but he's hobbled. But Seattle does not have a healthy running back that, you know, is a featured back. They don't have a pounder. When, when the Rams go up against teams who have a pounding running back, they're going to have problems. We saw it in week one. It's just not going to work long term. They did, however, start the linebacker Josh Force, who many many folks on the insider are feeling kind of kind of high on, and that can make a difference. But six safeties long term, no, it's not going to work. Yeah, just to add on that, as far as the defensive success in this game, it, it's pretty much as Derek mentioned. Yes, there was a good there was a good outcome. You know, the Rams got the win, a uh, very big defensive ball game, but at the same time. I'm not very confident in this. The Seahawks are a very limited offensive team. As Derek mentioned, Russell Wilson kind of running on a bum leg. It was very evident, very, very evident, because this is a guy that could normally escape from the pressure. And by evidence of this, you you could see that he could not get away. At the end of the day, I just I'm still very, very skeptical of this defense very, very poor offensive line, and yet we only had two sacks in the game officially. At the end of the day, I'm, I'm still not, I'm still not very confident in this defense, at, at least the scheme anyway. Front four is always going to do their thing, but I don't know. It's just, just kind of mind blowing to me of how limited the offense was, and yet the defense didn't shine as well as they should have. The defensive line carried this game. It, it's it, you know they didn't get, they didn't get more than their usual sacks from Seahawks that's true, but they put constant pressure on Wilson, and when they didn't get pressure to him that's when we saw the big plays, and let's not forget that secondary the secondary got gashed multiple times and they were also helped out by multiple drops in the defensive line I mean sorry the defensive backfield there this game could have been a much different outcome. Just sitting there watching the game, watching the coverage. Cody sends the ball was horrible, absolutely horrible. There's no way around it. The Rams did get lucky at certain points in this 
defensively in this game. A couple penalties kind of saved them a couple times, too. Yeah. Sure. The D-line did look great. A lot better than last week. Even though they looked okay last week, Robert Quinn looked like he's back into his old form, making a statement. Aaron Donald obviously played great. Dominic Easley got a high grade on pro football focus. He made a little bit of an impact in a limited role. So I'm looking positive about that. And Ogletree looked good again, had a big play near the end of the game. But this is a really questionable scheme, especially like Derek said, when you're playing against better running backs. The Rams basically ran a 4-2-5 last year with Mark Barron as a hybrid linebacker safety, and that was a great role for him. What's not a great role for him is when you run a 4-2-5 and he's one of the two. It would be a much better defense if maybe Josh Forrest steps up and becomes a good starter slash rotation player, and Barron gets back to that role that he was more comfortable in. And the secondary, it still was hit or miss, and the coaching staff finally gave up on Cody Sensabaugh this week and and put Troy Hill in the game. Do we think they go back to Sensible next week, or do you think his time as a starter is over? I'd like to see Sensible off the roster, to be honest. (laughs) Sensible is, uh, I mean, let's face it, Sensible has been horrible from preseason all the way now into the second week of the season. I, I was actually praising Greg Williams for sending Troy Hill out there, and I normally wouldn't from an undrafted free agent. So... Yeah, that says a lot. Troy Hill actually, in, you know, in, in his defense, actually, Troy Hill actually did pretty well. He didn't do um, he didn't do as bad as I thought he would do. But, yeah, Sensabaugh, bench, only because we need more bodies. And EJ Gaines needs to come back soon. Yeah, this is a defense that's waiting for EJ Gaines. There's just no doubt about that. Troy Hill had a moment, you mentioned that, but he also got beat in that deep ball. He got beat badly on that deep ball. I mean, the Rams stopped him after that, but awful fortunate. I mean, they, they targeted Troy Hill a couple times, and he's a rookie, and I think he, he actually has some solid potential in the future to be an NFL starter, at the very least, you know, a nickelback. But as right now, it's not his role. We need EJ Gaines in there. Definitely. Gaines needs to come back and look closely to what he looked like his rookie year. Troy Hill, a slight improvement over Cody Sensabaugh, but he's he's raw. He's young. He's not ready yet. And there, the defense definitely got bailed out at times. They definitely looked great at times. But they gave up three points against a pretty good offense, even if their quarterback's hobbled and they don't really have the running game. Holding the Seahawks at three points, regardless of circumstances, is still good, especially when you can win like this. Long term, though, for this defense to be as successful as it should be, the offense needs to play better. They were slightly better this week than last week. Score, getting on the board at least, but this team has still not scored a touchdown. And the big story is the running game still isn't there. Todd Gurley, 19 rushes for 51 yards this week. What's it going to take to get that running game going? Simply better blocking. I, I mean, if you really look at the film, Todd Gurley is working overtime trying to make something happen. Not saying he was perfect out there because he did miss a few holes here and there, but at the same time, he's trying to make something happen out of nothing, and that's that's got to stop. Gurley has to be able to run through a hole. Yes, he can bulldoze over people, but you can't bulldoze over an entire defense, and that's basically what the Seahawks defense was doing when they seen him get the ball, just you know swarm him. But yeah, as far as 
to establish the running game, the offensive line needs to needs to be able to push back defenders. I, I I didn't see that the past two games. Well, you can point at blocking, but on the same token, you have to throw downfield, stretch out that defense to give your blocker a chance to really kind of push forward. The Rams didn't throw downfield until at least, geez, uh, well into the second quarter. It was a bunch of ticky-tack, you know, dump-off passes. As long as that defense is crashed towards the line of scrimmage, you're not getting anywhere with the running game. So Keenum, you, I mean, there were multiple times in the first quarter, especially when the Seahawks had eight men in the box, they were daring Case Keenum to throw. So what do they do? A quick out, a quick out, a quick out. And they got a few first downs here, and they moved the ball. You know, they inched the ball around for first downs. But until they started throwing downfield, until they continue to throw downfield, this is, this is what we're going to have. Another problem, too, that with Case Keenum, when he does go downfield, it's not a strong throw. It's not, it's not a dart. I, I just think back to, you know, Brett Favre, that just that arm he had, that dart downfield. You know, Case Keenum doesn't have that. He doesn't have – it's a floater when he throws that thing. And that's, that's interception. It's interception waiting to happen. Interception is waiting to happen. I just don't see – I'm really thinking twice. I like Case Keenum as a backup. I, I think he can do a couple different things at the quarterback position, but I think the Rams really have to rethink what they're doing back there. The deep pass has to be a threat. And until they throw downfield and can throw – at least average for an NFL team, it's going to be eight man in the box. Case Kim can't do that. He just can't. Yeah, it, it definitely shows a complete lack of faith that Rob Boris has, that Jeff Fisher has in Case Keenum. Um, maybe not even just Case Keenum, maybe the uh, the wide receiver core as well. Looked a little bit better this time around than, than against uh, the 49ers. But, you know, still a couple missed pass, uh, drop passes here and there. I don't know. It, it, you're right. You do need to be able to throw the ball downfield, but that's just not Case Keenum. He can't He can't throw the ball downfield like, say, maybe even Jared Goff can. But Case Keenum, that's his specialty is short to mid-range passes. And as pretty much the uh, general manager and, and uh, Jeff Fisher knew going into this, Case Keenum isn't the answer. Everything you guys said is why the Rams trust Case Keenum as their quarterback right now and at the same time have no plans of him being the quarterback in the future. This week showed why he's a starter because he's normally reliably, consistently efficient in this way that he's not going to throw you out of the game, but he's not going to throw you into the game. And he can't get the ball downfield, and that's a concern to help the offense push forward with the running game. Because Todd Gurley is trying, like Johnny said, and the line is a little bit at fault, but mostly it's that the defense can stack the box and just have everyone banging on Gurley because the offense doesn't have a vertical threat and the receivers aren't that scary and the quarterback's even less scary. And if Goff ever gets in there, the efficiency will go down, but maybe they'll have that deep threat and maybe it'll be a more exciting offense and maybe they won't be able to stack the box. But I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. I don't know that the efficiency goes down with Goff. One thing, one thing the commentary team did really well in the game yesterday was noting, look, this is the reason why Goff is not on the field. And it's the offense that came out of the cow. And adjusting from never being in a huddle, 
to never being under center to the NFL is a much different story. And really kind of putting it out there to there's so many the media has been hard on golf and this and that and expecting him to basically in my view working miracles. At some point, I, I'm changing my mind here. I was okay with golf sitting out this year, and now I'm changing my mind because I'm seeing the, the more I watch this Ram offense, the more I see Case Keenum back there. And you know, again, he, I, I've got no problems with Case Keenum, but the more I see him back there, the more I know that if the Rams are going to win this year, it's not going to be with him. The Rams drafted Goff to be that man, and if he can be the guy who can throw downfield, and if he can be the the guy who to run this offense in the short, the intermediate, and the and the deep threat passing game, you have to get him in there sooner than later. If I'm the Rams, you don't wait on developing him. I'm changing my mind here. I'm going back on what I said. I want to win. I don't know about you guys, but I, the Rams don't have a first-round pick next year. They don't have a third-round pick next year. We are in win-now mode. We just I, can't wait anymore. Yeah, I totally agree. And the way of putting in Goff, in my mind, is – he either goes in, he kills it, and the Rams start winning, or he goes in, he struggles a little bit, and we give him time to learn as the play goes on. With Case Keenum out there, realistically, the best we're going to do is 8-8. Eight and eight. You know, He's not going to win us games. And when he's on the field, and I'm thinking going into the Bucks game, if they score 14 points, I genuinely don't understand how we win that game with Case Keenum back there because he's just not the type of quarterback that is going to put points on the board. Yeah, as far as I'm going to disagree with both of you for a minute, just because I feel like Jared Goff is still a major work in progress. And I do see him becoming a lost cause if he just loses his confidence. And as the offense sits right now, I just think he would lose his confidence, lose his composure. And we have a shell shocked prospect. And as, you know, Derek mentioned, we don't have any first-round picks next year. So we have to live with that. We can't live with a shell-shocked prospect. And that's my biggest fear if we throw in golf right now. Maybe not at the moment. I would be in favor of putting golf in later on in the year. I do want to win now. Don't get me wrong. Golf does give us a better chance of winning than Keenum which is why, to be honest, I would be more in favor of starting Sean Mannion. I, we could talk Mannion a bit, but listen, this is not the same Rams offensive line that was out there in the last two years. They are actually protecting the quarterback here. I would actually agree with you. Don't throw Man, don't throw Goff out there. Don't throw him out there if the Rams quarterbacks are taking hits, but they're not. Keenum was not touched often yesterday. Not at all. Against a strong Seattle pass rush. He took a couple hits. Took a couple of strong hits, but they are overall protecting the quarterback, and they've improved even from last year. And last year's group was underrated. You're it's just right a different story. A sense, uh, you're, you're right in a sense that Keenum wasn't hit often, but if you really take a look at how long Keenum holds the ball as opposed to how long Goff holds the ball, there's no way that the offensive line is going to be able to protect Goff as long as they protect Keenum. Because Keenum dumps the ball right off right away, and that's the veteran in him. But Goff, he, he holds the ball onto the ball for too long, and it's not necessarily completely the offensive line's fault, but still, he Goff doesn't have the experience yet to know when to get rid of the football. And again, that's going to lead to a shell shock prospect. 
I uh, I'm gonna go back to playing that game. I'm gonna take go back to the sack, the Michael Bennett sack where Keenan rolled out. Okay, and instead of keeping the rollout, he stopped and took the sack. You're gonna tell me that's awareness? You're gonna tell me well where was his release there? Well, meanwhile you have a guy who does have a quicker release. Goff does have a quicker release. He might be slower making decisions, but his release is quicker and it's more accurate. You're right to an extent that about that rollout, but if you really look at that rollout, Keenum didn't have a chance in hell to getting away from that. So I actually like the fact that he took. But keeps that rollout. If he keeps that rollout and just gives himself an extra second, he can throw that ball out of bounds. He could have been out for the tackle. He stopped. He stopped. You can't just do that. I'd prefer him getting the sack than getting the pick. He, he, he got nailed, pistol. man. He's moving. He's moving. He's rolling out to his right. He can throw the ball out of bounds. He didn't need to be picked. All he needed to do was two, three more steps. But he stopped. You can't do that. Veteran quarterbacks cannot do that. If he's rolling left against the grain, then yes, I see him stopping. But he's rolling through the grain, going to going right. He's a right-handed quarterback. Uh, I just, I mean, there was, there was a lot of defenders right there in front of him. I don't, I don't blame him. Michael Bennett's two. a big dude. Case Keenum. There were two. Still, look at Case Keenum. He's probably still shell shocked from that hit from the Ravens last year. Case Keenum has quicker feet than what most quarterbacks have. He needed two steps against two defenders. Neither of them were coming towards him, rolling right. They were chasing him. You don't take that sack. I mean, I'm I'm not trying to force an argument here, but I'm trying to say, hey, look, they just say, hey, Jared Goff is not ready. Well, we know he's not ready, but he's not going to be ready if we keep sitting him there and we keep losing anyway. But they're going to Tampa Bay this weekend. They're playing a much more mobile quarterback. They're playing against a running back who is a pounder, who will get yards on them. They have to score points next weekend. How long do oh, we no wait? You, you have to score points. You can't sit on nine points. You're not going to win nine points next weekend. You're not going to win with 15 points next weekend. You need 20. Minimum. Minimum. How soon do you wait? I mean, I'm, changing, I'm not saying you, you go throw golf out there, but we need to start thinking about this offense. You get nine points in two games. I agree with you on both on different things. I agree with Derek that I would like to see golf in there, but Johnny's also right in that. If the coaching staff genuinely does not think he's ready to play and doesn't give them a chance to win, him going out there and playing bad could make him a shell-shocked prospect, and he could end up like Blaine Gabbert, who is having a renaissance now, but he washed away for four years. But something does have to change, and I think if anything, if you're going to play Case Keenum, try try and give him a shot. Try and throw the ball deep more and let the let the guys make plays. Is he going to be able to convert on all of those? I don't know, but you have to do something. The offense has been playing horizontally. It allows the defense to stack the box. They have no concern for the deep passing game. And you wind up with nine points and fluky wins like this. So, yeah, if they can't hold the Bucks to under 14 points, I really don't think this offense is going to put them in a position to win. I wouldn't call that fluky. They earned that win. I wouldn't call a fluky win. I, I'm saying fluky as in... It wasn't like they were the better team that day, but I'm saying fluke is and you won a game scoring nine points. That doesn't happen often. 
it is the most alarming stat of this. Nine points in two games, that is the most alarming stat. Yeah, and we're one and one. You know, but th- even throwing it, watching Keenum throw a deep ball yesterday is what really got me changed my mind. Because none of his deep balls are strong deep balls. No, not at all. None of them are. I mean, they're they float. Yep. They just his balls float. They're you know a strong um, a strong defender, a good shutdown corner is going to break him up almost every time. Get a couple interceptions in there. You know. I can go. I I can say, re- rethink this thing. Rethink what you're doing here. It's different if you have. We don't have that six foot five, mega receiver out there. I wish we did. I we just don't have that guy. Kane Britt had a great game yesterday, even with the drop, but he's just he's still not that guy. Who's gonna go no. up there and get those balls like the superstar will? You don't have that guy. No, and it's tough because. Everyone gets the logic behind the coaching. If the guy's not ready, don't play him. But when your alternative is this, at what point do you just say we need to give this guy a shot? And hopefully it's sooner than later. You can go back to David Carr. When David Carr was picked, you know, drafted by Houston, he didn't have an offensive line. And he won. It ruined his career. And that's what I was talking about a couple of weeks ago on the podcast was David Carr. But you have an offensive line with Jared Goff. He has time to learn the game. And I would rather him learn it now or soon against some of the, the weaker part of the schedule than when they get to the tougher part of the schedule later in the year. There's a part of our schedule that is horrid, horrible, and I would not want him learning later in the year. Yeah, and if they're going to play him, you're right. This is the time to play him. Their schedule before the bye week is relatively weak. Not the easiest of schedules, but... It gets a little bit tougher once they come back. So if you really want him to get out there and get some experience before he's got to go against the big guns, if Case Keenum is really going to look like this, why not let, get him out there? You know, if he doesn't play in the Tampa game, maybe after Arizona you play him against Buffalo and then he's got Buffalo, Detroit, New York, and then the bye week. Or it, or you examine Mannion like Johnny said. Yeah, I agree. This isn't going to work. I really do want to see Manion get out there. Obviously, this is going to be Jared Goff's future team. Whenever, I, I have no idea. But Manion, I feel, gives us a better chance than Case Keenum does. Even if it's just for a couple of games to you know, help prepare Jared Goff, I would like to see Sean Manion out there. And it's tough to bench a quarterback after a win, but they won in spite of him. They didn't win because of him. The, number, the numbers are complete 18 of 30 pass, 239 yards. By the numbers, it's workmanlike. He didn't do he didn't do badly, but watching the game and seeing how he got his yards, I just don't see long term how you can win with him. We've been preparing for the move to LA for a while at Ramstock. So, what did this game mean for us winning that debut? You know, Ramstock um, came into existence in, in 2013. We, we, our goal in in building this website was to re introduce our team's history to the fans because in, in the move to St. Louis a lot of it got lost we built a staff that had a bunch of different people from Rams fans who still want to in LA to some of people who are middle ground didn't care where they were some who want the team to be in St. Louis and we we really had to we really had to be very careful in how we covered Everything arranging from the move, um, 
to the different, you know, events that the folks in St. Louis held, to the different effects, to, to what the folks in L.A. held. We, we tried to really, I hate to say it, straddle the fence and play it safe so that we did not offend anyone because we were, we were going to be covering this team no matter what. Um, but now that this move has happened and now that it's taken place, at least for me and for, you know, trying to run this website and, and it's, it's meant a lot to to see a lot of things come to fruition. To, to you know, to see the team, it's, it really does seem like it's where they belong. No offense to the folks in St. Louis. It just feels right. And, and Johnny, I'm not, you, you know, you've been with us almost from the beginning. I'm sure you, you're, you're, you're from LA. You, you're feeling pretty good right now. <laughs> You know, and and Steve, you were one in the middle. You were one of the middle ground guys. You you were going to school with Marquette, and how's you know how's this journey been for you two? There was no other team I was going to root for. You know, I knew I was going to be a Ram fan, no matter what city they were going to play for. If they went back to Cleveland, I'm still going to be a Rams fan. I just grew up a Rams fan, and I just couldn't see rooting for any other team. I couldn't see rooting for the Raiders, I couldn't see rooting for the Chargers. It just didn't sit well in my mind. So then coming back to, you know, when I was a kid, this this is something that I've been waiting for for over 20 years. So, yes, I was ecstatic when the Rams came back. Now, I also want to make it clear that I don't mean any disrespect to the St. Louis fans because some of the greatest moments in Rams history – happened in St. Louis. I mean, there was a Super Bowl in St. Louis. So what I want to make abundantly clear is that I don't ever mean to disrespect St. Louis fans, and you'll never hear me disrespect St. Louis fans. And for the St. Louis fans that actually have stuck with the team, now that they've moved back to Los Angeles, thank you, because I'm sure the team appreciates it as well. So, yes, I it, it meant the world for me for them to move back to L.A., this was my team as a kid, and it will be my team for life. Yeah, for me, since I didn't really have a horse in this race, it was just cool to see them back in L.A. and have an electric atmosphere, which for a lot of different reasons was missing from St. Louis over the past couple of years. And you can't really you can't blame the fans there because they went through 10 years of just a miserable product on the field. But now that the Rams, they got a change of scenery, the team probably needed that boost. Although I definitely feel for the fans in St. Louis, there was a lot of diehards there. And like Johnny said, probably their best moment happened in St. Louis. But it was definitely cool to see them in the new stadium getting a win. The crowd was excited. They were back in their old colors. And it's getting me really excited to see them move into their brand new stadium in a couple of years. It's different for me. You know what? The first Rams game I ever watched was Eric Dickerson's last game. The Monday Night Football game against the Browns. I've, I've I've been with this team since they were in LA, since they originally wore these colors. You know, through the '88 playoff season, through the '89 playoff season, through the, the 1990, which was supposed to be their big year, and they fell apart, and it all went downhill from there. I, through the move, through the Super Bowl years, through the lean years, I've been there through it all. I've seen it all, you know, since. 1987. You know, and interestingly enough, when I first wrote for Yahoo and I wrote about 
I actually wrote that I wanted a team to stay in St. Louis. And just going through the process and meeting the LA teams and re and just kind of re attaching myself to the idea of this team moving to LA and re getting and re what's the word I'm looking for to reacquainting myself with the history, you know, brought me around to wanting this team to go home. Now, I didn't talk about it much on Rams talk. I, I tried to keep that part of it out of it. It feels right. It feels it feels like this team never should have left. That they that it never should have been a breakup with Southern California. And it, you know, for I don't even I think I'm losing the words here. I just don't can't express it. There's a special kind of finality for a fan who has watched the team go from L.A. to St. Louis and now back to L.A. It's special. Johnny, you were there. How was that experience? To sum it up in just a few words, just felt like I had to ram it, you know? (laughs) (laughs) For those of you who don't know, ram it was a video that was made in the 80s. Clear, clear version of what 80s music sounds like. Um, Maybe kind of a a weird version of 80s music, but still very entertaining nonetheless. I encourage you to YouTube it. It's on there. And I have to give a shout-out to my to my friend Brian, who came with me uh, to this game, helped me tailgate. You know, we had a great time, and we had to listen to Ramit. It was just like a tradition that feels right that we'll probably end up playing all the time when we have a home game. But the funny thing was I was under the impression that a lot of people didn't know about Ramit, but pretty much everyone that was involved, everyone that was listening to this, if they didn't know it, they had somebody in their party that knew about Ramit. And that just says it all. It says that this is definitely the team for LA. It says that it was missed in LA and everything about that game on Saturday or on Sunday rather was, it was just right. As Derek said, everything just came into place. The tailgates were on, uh, the whole crowd was in a good mood. Even the Seahawks fans were, were supporting us saying, Hey, we're, we're glad you're back in LA. Uh, everyone's donning the, uh, the old, the old school colors, the new school colors. It just, it just felt right. The atmosphere was happy. Um, there was, there was just all kinds of tailgates going on that just made everything just awesome. And I don't know, uh, have you guys been to a Ram game, uh, in St. Louis? Cause I never have. I, I don't know the atmosphere like over there. I never um, made it. Free game, but. I did. What what was it like there? Because I I never been there. <laughs> you know I, I I I'm hesitant because by the time I made it out there for a game, I, I, there was some bias there. Um, the first game I went to was in uh, what I say it was 2011. Oof. Against the Ravens, and the Ravens smashed them. Oh, it was ugly. It was thirty-eight to either three or thirty-eight to six. It was 
Torrey Smith scored three touchdowns in the first half. Joe Flacco. Um, and I actually had won the tickets from the the Rams ran out of ran a contest, and I and I won the tickets. I, I had to express to them. I had to write and mind you, I was a writer for the Rams on Yahoo. I can't believe they actually gave me. They, I, so I wrote this. I wrote this, you know, massive explanation of why I should get the tickets, and they gave them to me. <laughs> I thought that wasn't fair. I just thought, you know, hey. I'm a professional writer who actually covers the team for an outlet, and you're giving me the tickets. And so I went and watched this horrible game. And, you know, the fans were, let's just say they were unhappy. <laughs> and, you know, I don't blame them. I went back again to watch them play the Vikings and made up for a couple games out there and made up for a Giants game. And every time, you know, the, the the fans who were there and would get on social media afterwards. They defend, you know, the uh, the atmosphere and say, "Well, the team was fifteen sixty five and blah blah blah." That stretch, and I get that, but my feeling is it's a baseball town, and it, you know, the Cardinals always come first, and you're, they'll come out with the Rams are winning, which has been a long time since the Rams have won. So yeah. There'll be support when the Rams are winning. But it's primarily a baseball town first, and then it's a hockey town. That's just that was just how I came to view St. Louis, and it's not nothing wrong with that. There's no, let me say that right away. There's nothing wrong with prioritizing one sport over another. You know, when I think of New York City, I think it's a I think it's a Yankee town first, followed by the Giants and so on and so forth. I think it's a Yankee town first. What about you, Steve? Did you uh, did you attend a uh, Rams game in St. Louis? No, um, I definitely agree with you on the Yankee thing. Although New York does get out for all their teams, um, I've only attended away games, and so far my experience has been the Rams fans do not travel well. <laughs> yeah, that's usually the case. And I think I've been to four, and they've lost every time, so I could understand the St. Louis fans' frustrations. <laughs> Hopefully Tampa I mean, Bay I, is, I made is it charm. Out. I mean, I made it out for, to, a, to a Browns game with the, against the Rams a, a couple years ago, and there were, I mean, a couple fans there. It's not that big a drive from St. Louis to Cleveland. I mean, no. it's, a, it's a hike, but it's not a horrible drive by any means. Yeah, I mean, it's a couple games, and you're right, they didn't travel well. I'm thinking that you know, if this team really, really etches itself into the L.A. community again, we're going to see travel. You know, we're going to see Rams fans traveling again. I, I just, how do you not when you have a fan base of 18 million in that metropolitan area to reach? It's just, you know, a lot, a lot of folks are wanting that team to move home. Oh, yeah. Well, let me tell you, I was a little bit nervous when – the Rams lost 28 to nothing against the 49ers. I was like, I was wondering what the fan attendance would be like. And mind you, yes, season ticket holders, yeah, they, they, uh, we have quite a few already. So I knew that wasn't going to affect like dramatically. But considering there was 91 plus people, 91,000 plus people, yeah, it, it, it was, it was incredibly loud there. I don't know if you guys watched 
Pete Carroll's post-game interview, but he said the noise didn't get to him. It was blatantly obvious that the noise was bothering the offensive line. A couple false starts in there. And, yes, this stadium was completely loud. Not in a closed dome like like it was in uh, the Edward Jones Dome in St. Louis, but still, it was really, really loud in there. The atmosphere was epic. It was amazing. Something I hadn't seen in a Rams game in quite some time. So, for those of for those doubters out there, just take take a gander at the crowd. Any chance you get, look at the replay, look at the crowd. I hadn't seen that since the greatest show on turf era. Well, you, you have to really put something in perspective, though. I mean, in fairness to St. Louis, got to be fair to St. Louis because St. Louis made this case. You know, a lot of St. Louis fans did. L.A. has does have something to prove. We all, the people who really know the history of why the Rams and Raiders left, um, can can go at this and and faithfully argue that it wasn't the fans' fault, and it wasn't. Okay, if you actually know the history, people who who aren't informed will just play, will just go ahead and blame. You know, hey, it's lack of fan support. It's a bunch of garbage. It wasn't lack of fan support. It was the owners' actions, Al Davis's actions, and and Georgia Frontier's actions, the lack of uh, civic support that caused those teams to lose attendance at games and then leave. All right, but it does not change the fact that the whole country now, the whole the league is watching how the Rams do in L.A. The fan, to me, the onus is on L.A. fans to prove everyone wrong, and they shouldn't have to. They they faithfully support every one of their teams. The Angels are horrible this year. They still get fine attendance, not great attendance, but fine attendance. The Dodgers, even in their worst years, are still a top ten attendance team. Okay. The Lakers, horrible, 99.7% capacity. The Clippers sell out. The Kings sell out. The, the Ducks, oh, oh, geez, memory, I think they fill 95.2% capacity at the Honda Center. The, the, the Galaxy does well. L.A. fans support their teams. It's a myth. It's, it's, it's a... It's not, it's, it's not fair to the reputation of L.A. fans that they're a fair-weather group. However, it's there. And the onus is on them to once again show the country that they're for real this year. It just, it just is. It's just – I hate that it has to be that way, but, you know, it's on them. He didn't even co- cover uh, USC and UCLA attendance. Oh yeah, that's true. I mean, they, they were they were the professional teams with the Rams gone, and both of them, you know, are, are covered well, and, and the fans are there. It's just, it's a bunch of garbage that that the uh, the LA gets this rap for being a fair weather sports town. They support their teams, and you shouldn't have to. I'm kind of on a rant here. You shouldn't have to. <laughs> you know, why should a fan? Why should a fan have to prove they're a fan? By spending a hundred bucks, two hundred bucks in tickets on a bad product to show that they're they're a fan, but that's the culture we live in. Especially if you're an LA fan, especially if you're a big city fan. When the Yankees put that new built that new Yankee saying, then they suddenly went from great to average. They they were you had a large portion of Yankee saying out there not getting filled. 
did they did their reputation take a hit? No. But LA fans have to live up to it. That's why. Speaking of this game last night and just kind of taking taking this on, ESPN.com has an article out. I think it was by Arash Barkazi talking about the the uniforms and how he, his basic point was the Rams don't really want to change uniforms yet for whatever reason. Because they, they didn't actually file anything with the NFL to switch their uniforms back to their, you know, what are essentially the throwback colors of the uniforms they wore yesterday. Are they making a mistake? Are the Rams making a mistake here? Because it just seems like to me they are. I, I have to wonder if it's like a publicity thing. You know, not not to completely trash St. Louis by completely uprooting the team, plus a, abandoning what was in St. Louis and the color scheme. For me, I completely agree. I think it, it looked completely natural for them to be in their throwback jerseys. That that should really be their every game jersey. Well, you know, every home game jersey. I I just can't see it as anything else other than that. I know they had mentioned that they were trying to combine somehow. I don't know how they're going to do that. But they were looking more towards doing that uh, when they have the new stadium in 2019. But, yeah, clearly it, it looked it looked a lot better in those uniforms in Los Angeles. It just it looked right. I, I know there's a rule. I'm not sure. I haven't been able to find a reliable source on this. But I've heard that there's a rule that uh, you can only change your jerseys every so often, couple of years. Every three years. Every three years? You have to give three years notice. So um, they're in the window now. To they apply could have changed it. But they were concerned that the NFL would not. And this is a court. This is a Markazi had written. Um, or wrote it, that they were concerned that if this is from, I guess, from league sources, uh, NFL sources, team sources, they were concerned, per Markazi, they were concerned that if the team changed the uniforms back to where the, their colors now, they couldn't change the uniforms again for the, for 2019. And yeah. that's indicative of itself. Because why the hell would you want to change the uniforms anyway? Why would you want to change them again in 2019? Just wear the freaking uniform. Well, I think they want to they want to look like a whole fresh new rollout in 2019. I think that's why part of the reason why they haven't made a move yet on the uniforms. Although I'm in the minority here. I actually like the navy and gold. Yeah, you're in the minority, Steve. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think if they go back to the old color change scheme, I want to see new uniforms because I do like the throwbacks. But I feel like there's more potential with that color set. Because they really just do look like the 80s rants with those uniforms, which is cool. But I'd like to see the classic colors implemented with a new modern kind of jersey, if they're going to go that route. I wouldn't be, I don't like the, the colors enough to say I'd be upset if we changed it. As long well, as it's not young. NFL fresh status. Look, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make this argument, okay? I'm going to make it... Um, Kind of as a traditionalist, you know, the the old the older guy of, the, of this conversation. You go back and you look at the Packers uniforms, you look at the Steelers uniforms, the Bears uniforms, 
you could even say the Lions, some of these older franchises in the leagues who have kept, who for the most part, with minor tweaks here and there, have kept that standard look. I would call them legacy uniforms. The Giants have gone had have gone back to what was more their legacy look. Um, the '80s they had part of that, that '80s Giants helmet and so on. So they've gone back more towards the legacy look. And to me, that Rams uniform is a legacy look, the current as it is. It might not. I mean, it's not something you're going to want to wear daily outfits. You know, your daily fashion. That's not what it really is. I mean, but Green Bay colors aren't your daily fashion either. Okay, but it is as a uniform. To me, that's a legacy. That was the '70s and, and Jack Youngblood, the '80s and Eric Dickerson, going back to the '50s before they, they only wore the blue and whites for 11 years. Forget that they only wore it for 11 years. Other than that, they've been in that blue and yellow, the blue and gold, for almost their entire franchise history. You know, the Cleveland years are, are have the red and black, and and the blue and white for 11 years during the first and foursome. That's it. That's it. It's always been these colors. It's always been something close to that uniform. So to try and, and maybe I'm the minority here, to try and retrofit it for a modern look, it doesn't fit, in my opinion. And if you if you were to, I Johnny, I would think you could tell me because you were there. I would think most of the fans want that legacy look. Oh no, without a question. Without a question. But, yeah, I, I am also concerned of a modern look. I mean, just take a look at the Jaguars uniform. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, some of these attempts to modernize uniforms take go too far. The, the Buccaneers uniforms are horrible, too. The Browns uniforms look horrible. The Browns had a legacy look. They had oh, the Browns that are awful, simple... Yeah, then yeah, they went to that. It looks horrible. Looks horrible, but even the Rams players love wearing that uniform, that that throwback uniform. They were talking about the game yesterday. How much they love that uniform. They've been saying it for years now. How much they love just wearing that standard um, legacy uniform. Because it, it mean it, it it does. You know, it, I'm never going to wear that that yellow out there. I'm never going to wear that blue. Other than wearing a Rams shirt or a Rams jersey, it's not a fashionable, it's not a high fashion color scheme or anything. Kind of gaudy. But for a uniform, it's special. The road whites, which we have ne- we have not seen them wear the road the road whites the throwback, they're special too. They that's what the Rams wore in both Super Bowls. Yeah, um, I mean, first two. To go back on what I was saying, now that you said I agree, not too modern, but um, I don't know how hard you guys follow the NBA, but the Jazz and the Sixers both got redesigns recently and they're like retro but they like they're not really replicas and they're more of just the retro colors and the retro style just tweaked a little bit and i think they're both really clean looking products i guess the closest thing in the nfl for a team that would have went back to that style would be buffalo and i think they have they have a good product on their uniforms now i think it looks better than what they wore with the navy so it could definitely work it's it's been done and it could work but it's it's hard to do it with that with those colors. It's really hard to do that with those colors. The Rams, I mean, like I, like I said, they're 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 pretty gaudy. That blue and and, and yellow, you know, it's going to be really tough 
to to streamline that when that's what you have for 26 years. Yeah. Well, it's definitely something you can really look at in terms of it being an honor for some of these younger guys that are trying to prove something out there, prove something now in a new era of the Rams in Los Angeles. They're, they're trying to prove something here, and when they're wearing that uniform, it looks it looks like it belongs. Whereas they're you know wearing you know the current colors, and it just it looks off. If you even look at like highlight, um, you know me, uh, like kind of memorial films of of uh, the Rams, it's always been you know them highlighting in the uh, throwback colors. And yeah, don't get me wrong, there were great moments in the current color scheme, but definitely something to consider in keeping what's now known as the throwback color scheme. But I think that what I think with the NFL, what the Rams are trying to do with the NFL for 2019, is I think they're actually trying to do a complete and total redesign. That's mm. where they're going. And I think. I mean, that's where Marcos is going. I tend to agree with him. I think they're not really listening to the fans. Majority of the fans want this color scheme. They don't need a new uniform. They don't need you to go out there and make something brand new. You know, that's that's your customer base. That's the base that you're trying to win over. So why would you not listen to them? You want to make them wait to 2019. It's a money grab. You want to go out there and let, let's go back here and remember who we're dealing with. This is Stan Kroenke. He's a stone cold businessman, but to me, a even a stone cold businessman listens to his customers. So why turn a deaf ear to what your customers want? And your customers don't want a redesign; they want this uniform or the blue and white. But most want the blue and gold, the retro blue and gold. I think they are listening to fans somewhat because I do think they're going to go back to that color scheme in 2019. And you're definitely right. It doesn't make sense that they just didn't change it back and keep those throwback jerseys if they're going to change the colors anyways. You could just tell they want to roll out with a brand-new color scheme and brand-new jerseys to go into the brand-new stadium. But you don't need to. No. I mean, you, I mean, you can. You don't need to, to roll out a brand-new jersey for that. I mean, those jerseys are, man, just, just watching that game yesterday, it was special. You don't need to change it. To that degree, you're already changing a new stadium, you know, new practice facilities. You're bringing back the blue and white. It's obvious they're bringing back the blue and white some way or the other. They've changed the logos just to show the blue and white. The website shows some blue and white. You know they're going blue and white somewhere. Is it going to be primary? Is it going to be secondary? To me, it looks like they're going to go primary. And okay, let's just go ahead and be the Colts. Yeah. The Colts, the blue and white. I mean, let's just go ahead and do that. No, just be the Rams. Blue and white, I think, is probably the worst case scenario. Because they literally would just be the Colts. At least to <laughs> most fans now. Like, obviously, there's people that would be like, it's their colors, but to any casual fan, they'll be like, oh, they're the Colts now. Well, I mean, there's some diehards of that generation who like that. Because the blue and white is a smooth look. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's a smooth look, but it's not what the Rams have worn for their entire for most of their, their franchise history. It's always been one way. Even with the, the St. Louis colors, it is a form of blue and yellow. It's a darker yellow, you know, the, the gold, but it's a form of it. That's it for Ramstalk Radio this week. We will 
hopefully be getting a second podcast this week to dive into the matchup with the Bucks coming up, and we'll be back with a recap of that game next week. We'll see you then. type of drama where else does history hang from the rafters Jalen Brown throws it down. where else is your own city home to your biggest rivals the battle of the lake is real people and 30 feet is still in range Hurry, action. where else can a city this loud be this slept on where else is history still in the making oh my goodness. where else the NBA only here season begins December 22nd on ABC ESPN TNT and NBA TV You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.